Sports Illustrated's NBA show. Breaking down the latest news, rumors, and everything in between. Here's your host, Chris Mannix, Rohan, Adkani, and Chris Herring. Welcome back to another episode of the Crossover Podcast. I'm Rohan Adkani, joined today by Chris's one and two, Mannix and Herring. Guys, uh, lots to talk about on the show today. Some epic game fours last night. Um, just a little bit of housekeeping up front. Mannix cannot stay for the whole episode. I got us delayed because my internet went out, so we're going to jump right into it. Mannix, you were in L.A. for Lakers-Grizzlies last night. Unfortunately, your insane Lakers Hail Mary prediction only continues to look better and better by the day. Uh, what did you take away from that game four last night in L.A.? You know, it was funny. I was you know, texting Richard Jefferson after because I saw Richard Jefferson before game one of the Celtics Hawks series. He called that for ESPN. And he, like you, Rohan, he confronted me and told me my Laker take was <laughs> insane. So after every Laker win, I've been texting RJ and saying uh, 11 more. 10 more. <laughs> and now we're down to nine more wins before the Lakers can win the Western Conference. Look, that was a, you know, I don't want to call it a masterful performance because it wasn't. Uh, Anthony Davis played horribly. Uh, D'Angelo Russell had like one good minute and then like, you know, the rest <laughs> of them were uneven. Uh, but it came down to LeBron James being LeBron James at the end of that game. And Look, 38 years old, and he continues to do things that you just shake your head at. Uh, it, it actually is remarkable that he's never had a 20-20 game in his career. Uh, puts up 22 points, grabs 20 rebounds. The Grizzlies are a physical team, and for LeBron to lead the game in rebounding and get 20 is something. Um, you know, the shot he made over Jaron Jackson Jr. at the end of, of regulation was... Picture perfect. And I love how after the game, when you ask LeBron about that shot, not only does he give you an answer, like he breaks it down into how he kind of got to this point. Like he talked about having three tiers of layups, like one for when he's under the rim, one for when he's got to use the center of the backboard, and one for when he's got to throw the ball high to get it off the top. Like he works on this stuff. Like this isn't, you know kind of let's try to get it over the fingertips of the best shot blocker in the NBA. He works on this stuff. So that shot was unbelievable. And then you get to overtime, and it was like just that moment, right? He's squaring off against Dylan Brooks. Lakers up three in that moment. Just dips his shoulder into Brooks. Got Xavier Tillman coming over the top, and he muscles in a layup for two in the foul. Like this, I mean, you just watch LeBron. You're like, I can't believe at 38 years old, He's still doing this, putting up the first 2020 game in Laker playoff history since 2004. Shaq was the last guy to do it, getting the final bucket over Dylan Brooks, who was talking all that smack, you know, all week long. I just continue to be impressed by LeBron and continue to believe, Rohan, that the Lakers are the best team in the Western Conference. <laughs> I've been saying that for weeks now. They're the best team in the Western Conference. They're up 3-1 <clears throat> right now, and you're not going to get me scared that Golden State or Sacramento is going to wipe them out. You're just not. I, I, after watching four games of Warriors-Kings, you're not going to make me believe that one of those two teams should be a favorite against the Lakers. 
Well, I love that you've just been emboldened even more and more. I, I, I'm not willing to go Lakers' best team in the West based on them kind of taking down a wounded Grizzlies team, even though I think everything oh, you said you about stop LeBron. Stop with the wounded. Stop, stop with the <laughs> okay, wounded. Stop okay, with like, okay, wait, are we going to okay. throw Steve? Oh, oh my God, Steven Adams is out. Oh my God, Brandon Clark is out. Well, they've been out all series. Like, John Morant missed the game, but he came back. Like, come on. Like, the Grizzlies, okay. they had multiple chances to win game four. Multiple chances. They couldn't come up with key defensive stops. They couldn't make big shots. Their half-court offense continues to be mediocre. John Morant gets called for not one, but two offensive fouls in the fourth quarter. Like, they made their bed. Yes, listen, you're right, you're right. I'm not willing to go best team in the West, but they've been really impressive. Memphis, I thought that was a brutal loss, Herring. They were up seven with about six minutes to go. That first, that that offensive foul that Jaw took on the LeBron ch- block charge play, why didn't he just feed the ball to Xavier Tillman right there? Xavier Tillman, by the way, playing his ass off <laughs> defending LeBron James. Uh, just, And then they go up late when Morant does make the pass late. Uh, to Desmond Bain, I believe it was, for that layup to put them up two with seconds to go. Herring, is, like, was Memphis a bad two seed? Is there a way for them to win this series? So what have you made of the Grizzlies so far? I mean, they they look like a team, quite frankly, that's played better than, far better than what I expected this round, given that obviously we knew going in that Adams wouldn't be there, that Clark wouldn't be there. We learned very early in the series that Morant was probably not going to be there at 100%. And then the dude (laughs) missed one game, but then came back and like damn near better than he was, looks better almost than he was beforehand with shooting, with almost more aggressive than he was before, to your point about the block charge call. So it's, it's, Look, I, I I understand where Max is coming from. I would be emboldened too if I'd picked the Lakers too. I mean, they're up three <laughs> one. You have every right to feel emboldened. Um, the Grizzlies have looked good enough to still potentially win the series. Now, now would I say that? No, but I didn't really expect them to once Ja was ruled out. To be honest with you, then they won Game Two. Then Ja went supernova in Game Three. Uh, they have to be disappointed even with all the guys they have out with with the injuries they've got they've got to be disappointed not only that they're down 3-1 but I, I think to some extent that they're down at all given how well jaw has played uh despite this injury given the fact that they should have had yesterday's game like it's kind of inexcusable to um to take the lead in the last six seconds of the game give up the basket to lebron uh, the multiple leads that they had in this game uh, it, it's going to be disappointing for them. I, I think it speaks to why those guys have not wanted to speak after the game. They've done all this talking. Uh, you know, can we talk about that? Can we talk about that? Because <laughs> they, Memphis has been this tough talking team all season long. Brash, uh, Dylan Brooks, you know, everyone, you know, everyone's against us. Whenever they win, all they do is talk. And when they lose, they run away. They have become a front-running bunch. They really have. John Morant walking away without speaking to the media last night was embarrassing. Dylan Brooks, for the second game in a row, tough guy Dylan Brooks, doesn't say anything, won't talk after the game about the way that he played and LeBron getting the best of him in the fourth quarter. That Look, that comes with the territory. If you're going to, you know, reap the benefits of you know, the, of your success, you've got to own your losses. And Memphis hasn't done that. I think it's a bad look for the Grizzlies to 
to just be constantly talking when they win and saying nothing when they lose, which is like getting noticed, not just amongst media people, but NBA types that I talk to. Like it's the Grizzlies just rub people the wrong way. Like if you're going to be this, this tough talking team, do it, you know, take your lumps when they come. And the Grizzlies haven't been willing to do that. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, I think I, the I, fact that they don't have bets, by the way, like a whole mm-hmm. lot of bets on this team is part of what's hindered there is like, let me give you an example. Harrison Barnes, which, you know, maybe it's an ironic pick for me to use, but like that sort of guy, uh, even though he leaves the locker room sometimes a little bit early in Sacramento, um, generally speaking, like if someone had to stand there and kind of take the lumps for a loss like that, I feel like he would do it. Steven Adams would do it. Uh, Where you lose people a little bit and kind of legitimacy in terms of the sort of maturity that I think you generally need to win a title, uh, you're looking at guys like that at least a couple guys on the roster like that. And look, we talked about this um, at the trade deadline of uh, being really, really surprised that Memphis did not go out and make a move beyond Luke Kennard, essentially. I mean, Luke Kennard is a good player. He's a great shooter. Uh, you know, he, he's still a relatively young guy. I mean, he's been in the league long enough at this point, but you need multiple guys, I think. And, and they just don't have them in, in great abundance. Certainly when you lose a guy like Steven Adams, uh, for, for you to have a Dylan Brooks, and I think it speaks volumes, by the way, that Dylan Brooks, uh, we've even seen small, small reports this week of like the fact that, which should be obvious that the Grizzlies are going to try to upgrade on someone like Dylan Brooks. Like he's a, a decent player. He's a good defender. He's not a very dependable shooter. He's maybe the loudest guy on their roster. Certainly someone that generates someone wanting to kind of respond in the way they play to the way that he speaks. Uh, but it's just a team that, you know, look, them losing the series doesn't fundamentally change the one of their key problems, which is that I think they are they, – they do seem a little big for their britches sometimes, the fact that they haven't really accomplished much yet. They're very talented, but uh, an injury or two really has taken the wind out of their sails. But I think they should be frustrated by the fact that even with those, they've had chances to win the series. Well, I think, too, the uh, there was a lot of talk before the trade deadline about Memphis getting another 3 and D guy. Uh, they tried to get Mikhail Bridges. They tried to get OG Ananobi. Um, but the asking prices were both were astronomically high. And especially in the case of Bridges, I don't think you're going to be able to extract him. And Toronto was going to get more than its pound of flesh for Ananobi if you wanted to get him out of there. So I understand to a degree why Memphis failed to get those guys. But you look at this series, a guy like Ananobi, would be incredibly valuable. A guy like Mikhail Bridges would be incredibly valuable. These are souped-up versions of Dylan Brooks, who, you know, Taylor Jenkins deemed not reliable enough to not put him on LeBron on that last play in regulation. It was Javier Tillman defending LeBron, who's done a a credible job uh, in spurts during the series. But, you know, this is the kind of series where you could use one of those top 3 and D guys. I also think... Look, if we're being honest, Taylor Jenkins had a rough series. You know, I, you know, he's made some some odd rotation decisions. I mean, the Brooks Tillman stuff on LeBron, uh, Luke Kennard sitting on the bench for long stretches when he's really your only reliable, you know, three point shooter. He took that challenge in the second quarter. I oh, mean, God, it's not a bounds play. Doesn't even look like I, I am partial to challenge guys. I wrote about them in the preseason, but <laughs> right. he doesn't even he doesn't even look at his challenge guy behind the bench to see if that was the right way to go. He just took Xavier Tillman's word for it and. You never take a player's word for it, ever. They all think <laughs> you should review everything. 
And yeah. that was a blown challenge. You think about it. All, first of all, they lost it. Even if they had won, it just would mean a change of possession of a 12-point game. Uh, could they not have gone to that on one of the two John Morant charge calls? Like, those were bang-bang plays. Like, they could have gone either way, especially, I think, the second one where LeBron was kind of had his on his toes a little bit and Ja went mm-hmm. flying through the air. I thought that was a, I thought that was a block. I thought LeBron I, I, moved I, I after he been. gathered, it, yeah. It could have been, but, you know, you blow your challenge in the second quarter. This is mm-hmm. what you get. Like, so... Yeah. Uh, I, I just I think, you know, the, the inexperience of the Grizzlies is part of the reason why they're in this predicament right now. It's not the whole reason, but it's part of the reason. I just want to say if Memphis doesn't push this to seven, maybe if they push it to six, I think they should be embarrassed. You know, I wrote that they should have been embarrassed after game three when Brooks didn't talk. I, and frankly, I don't know that this group is capable of being humbled. I don't because they either just don't talk or they double down on their trash talk. But I, I'm with you to go out like this against a seven seed, you know, I get that the Lakers were very uh, much better after the trade deadline. I get that they're missing key guys in their front court. But to me, this is an embarrassing display from the Grizzlies. This is a team that talks so much, a team that fancied itself as an ascending contender in the Western Conference, you know, putting themselves in the same class as the Warriors. You know, we're, we're next, all this stuff, like, this is a disaster to me if they lose in the first round. Look, um, it, it, it's, it sucks not having Brandon Clark. It sucks not having Steven Adams. That's kind of the way it goes in the NBA. Yeah. A couple of years every, ago, the Every Lakers, team's dealing with injuries. Everyone has something significant. And do I think the Grizzlies would be in a better position, especially with Steven Adams, who the Lakers have nobody. That oh, yes. They'd oh, be yeah. in a, a much better position. At the same time, you know, Stephen Adams would have to run around defending, you know, Jared Vanderbilt's energy and Anthony Davis spacing the floor a little bit. So yeah. there are there are balances and yeah. counterbalances there. But look, it's the way it goes. And Memphis, even without those guys, was the favorite coming into the series. And they are now one game away from something that rarely happens. The 7-2 uh, defeat in the in the playoffs. Where would where would they go from here, Herring, if they lose? Like, what do they need to do? I, I'm, you know, do they, because Ananobi, I think theoretically will still be available this summer. Maybe even Siakam becomes available. Yeah. They have a lot of picks. But, and another thing is that the rest of their rotation, it's like, yeah, it's like Aldama hasn't been a disaster. Contra has had his moments. Kennard has been solid, but they're not, they're not necessarily elevating the team either. And you, you know, can't, the, by the way, you can't count on Brandon Clark next year either because yeah. you come, you have an Achilles injury that takes a long time to come back from. And when you do come back, it generally takes you even longer to get back to being the player you yeah. once were. Okay. So, I mean, the Dylan Brooks question, I mean, they're not doing their job if they don't try to upgrade on Dylan Brooks. He takes up about 10% of your cap right now, um, which isn't a massive amount, but it's enough to, you know, to, to want to see what you can do there. There's him for, you know, if you have to answer that question, whether he has the right temperament, whether if you're trying to kind of tone down the team a little bit for where they're at in the life cycle, that's a relevant question. You know, for teams like this, I always look at like, where are they much better than just about every other team? And obviously, Ja is on the cusp of superstardom, even with the off-court stuff, just on the court is production, his ability to carry a team offensively. We know that he is basically a superstar projecting to be if he can stay healthy. Um, they also have, I would say, pretty obviously the best backup point guard in the league. Someone that has kept them afloat, quite frankly, when Jaw's been out a lot of games for the last two years. So that's a place that I think you have to kind of think about is 
do we kind of have a wealth of riches here to some extent? Yes, there's a ton of value in somebody like Tyus Jones um, because Ja has missed time, because Ja does crap like – I'm not trying to reduce it to crap, but makes plays or tries to make plays like the one where he's essentially trying to jump over LeBron James, and it's just not a safe play. So that's kind of the give and take here is do you look at the surplus that you've got at the point guard position and try to spin that into something else, which a good example – we watched Denver last year go out and trade um, Monty Morris for Contavious Caldwell-Pope, which was a huge deal for them. Uh, and being able to get a rotation player that they really needed at a position they really needed to try to that help was about, their defense. That was, about money. that was about money for them, too. Like, they notoriously yeah, want to stay under Absol- the tax. Absolutely it is. Uh, from that standpoint, too, though, we're looking at Tyus Jones, someone who's a very well-paid player for a backup. Uh, one year left and, in his contract too. Yeah, like the, you're right. Yeah. Though. This this is the year. Like Dylan Brooks, if you don't re-sign Dylan Brooks this summer, you better get somebody to replace him because you can't go into next year with David Roddy like as your wing stopper. Yeah, no, like, he's fine. Good point. <laughs> you don't you don't want those problems either. Like you don't want the Dylan Brooks problems, but you don't want those problems. But th- like you said, this is kind of the moment where like if you're not going to pay Tyus Jones again, and he would be expensive again if you're going to pay him. Uh, a second time you you need to look to spin him off somewhere else and i think you could get a pretty good player in return for him not to mention uh just not having to pay him the next time i i love touch jones one of my favorite players in the league the assist to turnover and everything else but i i kind of feel like that's a natural next step and it's probably to trade him for someone like exactly what we just saw with uh with denver where you're trying to get a wing player that is frankly like a kcp more consistent more level is, I mean, KCP has had his off-court stuff a little bit too, but not. It hasn't been like a daily because he's he's quote he's been quoted saying something ridiculous that puts the whole team on on notice or, or on watch. Uh, so that's I, I think that's honestly the sort of thing we're looking at. Yeah, all I'll say is they need to do something. You just look at their cap sheet. First of all, Desmond Bain's going to be extension eligible in the summer. They got to bring yeah. him back. Like they're getting what are they getting in the series from Zaire Williams, Laravia, Roddy, Conchar. Aldama, like they just got too many guys taking up space and it's it's not been good enough. All right, so we just said goodbye to Mannix, who in classic Mannix Mannix fashion just Irish exited uh, this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So, Herring, it's you and I. Um, Mannix, man, he put himself out on a limb with that Lakers take, bro, and he's just... Bro, but he, but they're up three yeah. one, and yeah. he said all this before anything yeah. happened with the series. I mean, like again, I'm I'm not in agreement with this pick, but at the same time, look, if someone said that the Knicks had a chance at the conference finals or were going to make the conference finals, that would have looked wild at one point too. But now it doesn't, you know. And um, to some extent, the Lakers. That I mean, it looks less wild than it did before. Yeah. So we'll get to Knicks Cavs in a minute, but let's talk about one of the greatest playoff performances I've seen in my entire life. Jimmy Butler, 56 points, and he was giving buckets to everybody. He said, Drew Holiday, here goes some buckets. Chris Middleton, here goes some buckets. Here go two more for y'all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Giannis, here go two more for y'all. Brooke Lopez, here's a little floater. This series, and particularly the Miami Heat's offensive performance, and particularly Jimmy Butler's performance last night, if you watched basketball this year, if you watched Miami Heat basketball this year and you watched Milwaukee Bucks basketball this year, this series 
defies all logic, defies all rational thought, defies all analytics, defies the eye test. It makes no sense what's happening. And even with the heat up 3-1, because of how absurd the series has been, I, I mean, I, I just can't rule out Milwaukee. I mean, it took it took what Jimmy Butler did in the fourth quarter last night. I think twenty two points in the final eight minutes. He outscored the Bucks himself in the clutch time. You, yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. You cannot predict that. You cannot assume yeah. that. You cannot say, "Oh, the Heat just need to keep it close," and Jimmy will score twenty points in eight minutes again. But here we are, and the Bucks are on the ropes. Herring, what'd you make of the game last night? And what are your just kind of prevailing thoughts about this series? Um, I mean, my honest thought, which, you know, you always want to try to avoid hyperbole in moments like these. It was one of the greatest performances I've seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, and, and maybe that's not hyperbole, but I was really trying to put it up with like the other ones I've seen. And we were talking about this in our, in our group chat a little bit too, man. Like, you know, the, the LeBron game uh, where, you know, the, the game one of the finals where he's got 51 and mm-hmm. the J.R. Smith thing is one that stands out. Uh, you know, I was young for the Michael Jordan performance against the Celtics, and that was first round versus finals versus last night being first round. Um, but this, you know, th- there have been some performances that are just really impressive. And with this one, I guess what stands out to me is just, the sheer nature of how thin the heat are. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, this as someone that is a heat fan and, and just in general, <laughs> the team is already thin offensively. Bam. We've been waiting on Bam to maybe take one more big leap offensively for a minute now, particularly in these moments in these sorts of games, Tyler hero's not even there. Even if you put in more of your offense oriented guys, like a Duncan Robinson, you're losing something defensively. And guess which two players on the Heat's roster are going to have to make up for that? Jimmy's one of them. Jimmy is kind of the guy that's going to be asked to do the most. So because of that, I kind of have a built-in expectation that if anybody is going to be a little bit less able to produce in moments like these against an elite defense, which I've maybe played myself a little bit from the standpoint that I voted three different players off this team on my first team all-defense roster wow um so i mean this was like you said and you look at the advanced metrics of matchup data anybody could get it last night it was literally (laughs) anybody and not even just last night this series anybody can get it and uh again i've seen jimmy go off before i've seen him have you know 48 50 point games before but to do that in the playoffs in that moment given what the heat have to roll out there a lot of guys that are mostly kind of spot up guys and, and bam without Tyler hero. Uh, that's wildly impressive. 56 on 28 shots. And also we kind of, we <laughs> kind of 16 got of 20 from two. I mean, that's, that's wild. Like the fact that we've kind of gotten used to saying like Jimmy is not a three point shooter, but when he has to hit them a lot of times he does in these moments, like, it's like he kind of expands his range a little bit in the playoffs. It's his ability to step up his game in the playoffs has been impressive for years. And I mean, this was kind of a culmination of that. You could make the argument that getting them to the finals was also that, but this is different because uh, I mean, I I'll be really honest with you. 
I imagine Giannis is not coming back to play in that game last night unless they're losing in the series, unless they're at risk of going down 3-1. He played, to his credit, triple double. well. He was you sick. Know, <laughs> he was Giannis. Pretty, I mean, pretty well. This is Giannis, but I doubt he would have played. Uh, I don't know what you do with what Jimmy was was doing last night. Like, like I just that that's beyond words. I've, I've given a lot of words for it, but it's just I still can't wrap my mind around how impressive a performance that was. Just because M- Milwaukee had that game won, mm-hmm. and Jimmy snatched it. They, back they and, controlled and the entire the game. They had controlled the game for the first forty minutes. Miami didn't even have a lead. And they weren't getting particularly close either. It, it was – I am in shock over how that fourth quarter played out. I didn't think the Heat had a chance. I mean, I thought the Bucks would sweep this series, to be honest, and that was with Miami Healthy. It, just because the Heat have been a terrible shooting team all year long. The second half of the year, their defense started to slip. And you, I, I wonder if Milwaukee is – arrogance not the right word. I understand that you have Drew Holiday – but did they trap Jimmy Butler once in the fourth quarter? I don't like. You yeah, know. I don't remember any. But that, yeah. I mean, look. Can I be honest too in saying like, even with that group of guys defensively, there's always criticism to go around for someone, whether it's like your game plan, like mm-hmm. someone not getting it done, like not putting enough Middleton pressure from a trapping. Cooked. Yeah. Right. I mean, he. It yeah. seemed like he got the worst of it statistically yeah. in terms of the matchup data. But, yeah, I mean, that's it, – it's hard to go back and say you're going to kick yourself for losing a game where someone just uh, – a, a superstar, a borderline superstar, goes supernova. But, I mean, this is – to me, part of why that's such an impressive performance, the other one I was thinking about – and I was like, I don't know if I can quite go there. Um, but thinking about LeBron, a young LeBron, beating mm-hmm. the Pistons by 29 out of 30, 25 straight – uh, what was LeBron in at that point? Year three, year four? Four, I, I think it was remember. 07, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that would have been year four. I mean, I I don't know if I can quite put it there, but at the same time, I mean, there's some similarity there, not from an age perspective, but just from the standpoint of, like, both of these teams had won championships. Uh, and, you know, both of these teams were brilliant defensively at, at full capacity you have a guy that's one defensive player of the year, a guy that arguably could have or should have won it this year, the guy I voted for this year. And the year. guy that every player, like the not every player, the vast majority of players voted is the, the best defender the in the best, league. The Holiday. best player in the league. Yeah. So, I mean, this was, like I said, 56, considering the, the offensive, the lack of offensive talent around him in a game where they were losing pre- pretty much, the like I said, the whole game. Uh in a series where, like, it would be very easy to be like, oh, they're only winning because Giannis was out. No. Uh, they're also winning because Jimmy is a boss yeah. and uh, and showed it against them at essentially full strength as well. Dude, like, Duncan Robinson was out of the rotation. <laughs> Cody Zeller mm-hmm. is, like, being dusted off here. Like, Yeah. Um, it's just remarkable. <laughs> Man. Yeah, I don't know how Milwaukee didn't start getting aggressive with Jimmy, and I think they're the team that is we've seen over the course of many playoffs now. I think the team, it's not lack of adjustment. I think the team that's like, we have our core principles defensively, and we stick to those, and we've been very successful with it. And I think they're the team least likely to get out of their core principles. And to their credit, 
They want Jimmy Butler shooting threes. They want Jimmy Butler shooting mid-range jumpers. These yeah. are not historically great shots for Jimmy Butler, who, even though he had an incredibly efficient season, you want to keep him away from the rim. You want to keep him off the free throw line. You live with him taking these pull-up jumpers and pull-up threes. That's not been a strength for him. So I understand why on some level they're like, yeah, go ahead and shoot eight threes, Jimmy. But at some point in that fourth quarter, the fact that they're not willing to get the ball out of his hands, put, you know, leaving it on either Drew or Middleton, you know, they kept running. The Heat would run the same play, a small, small screen. Lowry would come over. Lowry would set a great screen every time, get Drew out of the way, and then let Jimmy try to go at Middleton. Just trap him. Like, put the ball in Kyle Lowry's hands. Put the ball in Caleb Martin's hands. And you know what is interesting about some of that? Although, you know, I would argue that um, for the reasons that you were mentioning with Bain and, and obviously uh, Jaron Jackson, it's different from his talent standpoint. Um, <laughs> this is kind of what sometimes we're looking at with the Memphis situation too, mm-hmm. is that the Lakers, with the way that they're choosing to guard Ja, uh, and I think LeBron basically said it best the other day, you normally let him take threes, wanting to kind of force him to show that he can make them because, mm-hmm. you know, Ja, Jimmy – they're generally like sometimes at their worst, like high twenties, low thirties, mm-hmm. three point shooters. Jaw was 30% this year. Um, so if he makes a few of them, it makes life really difficult because it's like, okay, now we have to play up on him more, mm-hmm. but if we play up on him too much, he's got better angles to drive at us from. If he has that, then he's going to be able to get to the line when you have to like stop him from getting all the way to the basket. But then when he makes mid range, what do you do? <laughs> it's yeah. like, there's no answer. But the the best answer at some point has to be like using a second body, yeah. maybe a third body, and just force them to make shots from the outside when he kicks the ball out. Um, a little bit surprised to not see Milwaukee be more aggressive about that. Um, and they're now with their backs against the wall, which even with Giannis out, I'm surprised that we're here. If you yeah. told me that Tyler Hero was going to miss this series, basically – and Giannis was going to miss a couple games in the series. I would have. Tr- we saw what happened in Game Two with Giannis not playing, which was essentially a blowout victory for Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. I would have suspected that Milwaukee would have gotten two games without if, if they're playing three against Miami with no Tyler Hero. I would have guessed that Milwaukee would have taken mm-hmm. two of those, uh, just because they're 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 used to playing without their lead guys. Giannis is different than Chris Middleton, and, and Miami but I would have guessed score. that they would have gotten two. Yeah, and yeah, listen, yeah. The- Miami can't score, but they're lighting them up all yeah. series. Yeah, uh, and I think they're are they the leading scoring team in in the playoffs? Because I, I, I mean, I think they are not adjusted for uh, garbage time. Number one offense to an extent. Also, Milwaukee has to be like, why us? Because Miami could not shoot all season long, and now right. all of a sudden, suppose like I'm gonna dust off Duncan Robinson from the back of the closet, and <laughs> here here he is shooting 76 percent on threes or whatever it is. Yep. Caleb Martin is gonna hit insane pull up jumpers over Giannis. Um, do you think Miami's gonna win this series? I, I mean, probably just on the percentages and the odds, probably, but. Um, so yes, I probably, I think they will just because they've got three chances to do it, man. I don't feel good about picking. I don't feel good about it at all. I don't (laughs) feel good about it at all. 
that they've had it in that they just had the most absurd shooting performance you could hope for is really what it says is it's just it it says that and it says that milwaukee was my favorite to win the whole damn thing if Giannis was healthy and now he's back healthy i just don't see like i have so much respect for jimmy and what he's capable of we just watched it we've watched it before and, and, and uh, by the way, and I can't remember who who it is. I'm blanking on the name. I think his name is is Jerry. Uh, he picked. He said at one point yesterday before the game that he was like, "I don't care if Giannis is playing. I think Jimmy's the best player." Oh, you're talking about you're talking about Miami media legend Jeremy Tache. Don't yes. don't shout out Jeremy on the podcast, hey, Chris. Don't All shout out that carnival that barker. Even if, you, even if you even if you are oh. a Heat fan. That's a hell of a thing to be able to reference after Jimmy has a game like yeah. that. Because Giannis was playing. Giannis was great yesterday. Uh, and still, you know, with Milwaukee I essentially full strength. I think his name strength. is Jerry. <laughs> no, I feel really bad. I, I no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. That's funny. He'll be thrilled. Um, um, but but my point is that, like, you know, you're, you're going to have to bet against somebody by making a pick here. I'm still going to roll with Giannis. As being the best yeah. player, clearly, I think is the best player in the world. But that, the fact that I don't want to, you know, that I that I think Miami will do it, but I'm still not completely comfortable saying it, tells you how strongly I felt about yes. Milwaukee. I thought that they were. I thought the Bucks uh, were the title favorites. I really did. I think I mean they them, weren't. Yeah. Yeah. Boston was going to beat them, or right. maybe Dude. Philly, but not Miami, and not even with Giannis missing two games in the series. Dude. I'm I'm stunned that it's playing out this I, way, and I can't I'm, wait for the. I game, know. I know. Boston fans are thrilled right now. Boston fans got to be licking their chops because if the Bucks get knocked out in round one, it would take. I don't. It would take something shocking. I think for Boston to not make the finals. I just want to tell a quick story, real quick. I was talking to somebody close it's, to Jimmy Butler. What's? Oh yeah. Um, the other day, and I was like, no one's done a story about the Boston shot. You know what I mean? Like no one's done a story about. You know, you hear stories about, you know, Chris Paul referenced it after that Warriors loss. He's like, I went to a dark place. LeBron, after the 2011 loss, I went to a dark place. And, you know, no one's done the story about Jimmy, who I thought had an argument to be the best player in the East last year. I think it was either him or Giannis in those first three rounds. I think Jimmy Jimmy had an argument, and he had, he had some signature performances in each round. And I was talking to someone works with Jimmy and I was like yeah like no one's done that story and you know did he did he go home and watch it over and over again the next day did he you know Mm -hmm. did he go to a dark place like did he you know was he sulking what what was the people generally do yeah yeah right and he goes no he he told me like right like within days after he said if I get that shot again I'm gonna take it and next time I'm gonna make it and there he goes last night Pulling up from three and just hitting those two huge, huge jumpers late in the game. That again, the Bucks probably wanted him taking those shots. But I wrote for SI last night, and I believe it. I think he's the best player in the playoffs right now. There's a lot of postseason left. Someone There's a whole can lot of data him. that would point to you being right with that, and that was before last night's game too. And, like and his no, PER and everything yeah. was off the charts compared to everybody else's before last night, and then he dropped 56 on 28 shots. He scored 56 on 28. He came into the game shooting 60% and raised his field goal percentage in that game. Um, 
And nobody, you know, Jokic has been fantastic. Tatum, Devin Booker. <laughs> Imagine what Jimmy Butler would be doing right now if he had Kevin Durant or Jalen Brown or Jamal Murray. Like, he's doing this with a team that's just <laughs> has been awful offensively. And it was a team effort last night. But it, that was just with a playing team. I mean, he's yeah. doing that with a team that barely made it into the playoffs. That Chris, like for the last couple he, minutes of that game, we're not looking like they were going to even make it as the eight seed. I was, Man. I was sweating watching. You know, because they were starting to trade insane buckets. It was a Caleb Martin shot, Giannis and one. Heat come down and score. Uh, Drew Holiday hit an insane step back three that's going to get forgotten by history over Caleb yeah. Martin. When Jimmy hit the second pull up, I screamed so loudly. My dog was freaked out. He thought there was something wrong with me. He came up and licked my face. My grand was like, Are you okay? I was wow. like, I cannot believe what I'm watching. That was just, man, game fours. I just love the playoffs. Let's. Go to another game four that happened over the weekend, and I believe they they're playing again tomorrow night. I want to talk about Knicks Cavs before we get out of here. Another series that I'm a little confounded by. So I wrote during the season I thought the Knicks flashed contender potential. They had a stretch where they were looking great on both sides of the ball. Then the mm-hmm. defense slipped a little bit again, and then the Cavs finished the season strong. At one point, were the net rating leader in the NBA until Boston kind of got its act together again. Mm-hmm. And I just went into the series like, why are we underrating the Cavs? They're top 10 on both sides of the ball. Uh, Their defense is fantastic. You know, Mitchell is going to solve a lot of their offensive problems. He ends up laying a massive egg in game four. I mean, Darius Garland was playing like his hair was on fire, trying to get the team back in the game. And now the Cavs are down 3-1. And I'm not trying to take anything away from the Knicks, who, again, I thought during the season had this moment where I was like, but Julius Randle has been terrible. Like, they're getting nothing from Randall. Mitchell Robinson's probably been their second best player in the series, him or Josh Hart. Um, it's just been another wild series. What have you made of it? Uh, I mean, what I'm making of it very clearly is that uh, Cleveland doesn't look like they have enough offense, which mm-hmm. it is surprising because the net rating statistic and the fact that, you know, even though they, they performed well on offense – you can still question like, are there sometimes in there where they're beating up on teams that aren't healthy or they're beating up on bad teams that inflate their numbers. They were good against elite defenses too during the regular season. They were a top 10 mm-hmm. offense against top 10 defenses, um, which kind of gave me the confidence to pick them. Uh, you talk to enough Knicks people, they'll say, man, we, we beat them three out of four during the regular mm-hmm. season. We'd beaten them three out of four in the postseason." Um, I mean, you know, look, there's at a certain point, something has to be true about these Cavs. Like everybody in Cavs land is kind of denying it. They're they're players, their coach, the fans where, you know, if you ask the question of J.B. Vickerstaff, like, did you feel like you guys were rattled because of the crowd? Which is a fair thing to ask, given that this is a team that has not been in the playoffs. The closest thing they've had to that is either Donovan Mitchell having been through playoff series himself or the fact that they were in the play-in rounds last year and lost. And he's like, I don't think we're rattled. I think we're more just kind of anxious, excited, uh, you know, wanting so badly to make a play. It's like, uh, you can have the semantics of it if you want to. 
they look out of sync. They are throwing the ball away. They are airballing shots left and right. Um, you know, they're scoring 17 points in a quarter and then scoring 15 the next quarter, whatever it is. Like, that's that that's rattled. I don't care mm-hmm. what you call it, how you frame it. Um, and I, I, I think, and this was what I wrote my last story on, aside from the crowd, was the idea of Josh Hart and kind of like, um, and you wrote this for your first story about the series too, which is just like somebody at some point other than Donovan Mitchell is probably going to need to step up. Uh, mm-hmm. Garland has given them some of that. But aside from those two, I think their offense has struggled a little bit sometimes with the idea of spacing uh, from the standpoint of, <laughs> yes, it's, it's a it's terrible wonderful. way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's wonderful to have two rim protectors out there, but it's also difficult in the same way that we've seen with Golden State. Like, yes, you get benefits from having two bigs out there, but you also have things that kind of hold you back from your potential by having that because there's not enough spacing. Evan Mobley, for all the things he's great at, is not a, a, a good enough three-point shooter yet to really force guys to come out and defend him from that far out. And so you're going to have guys that are essentially doubled or trapped, and then you're allowing the Knicks to be able to recover. Uh, the Knicks have found some physicality in the series after being kind of just manhandled in game two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that. But the role players are just so much better for the Knicks, where Karis LeVert is kind of hit or miss. And really, I thought after a while, particularly after the Cavs got to the number one spot in the league defensively, efficiency-wise, and stayed there the whole year, I would say from the second month on or whatever it was, um, I stopped raising the question after a while of like, who's their fifth guy? Because it was they were kind of rendering it seemingly a moot question because their defense was so elite that it was like, well, you don't really need a fifth scorer, mm-hmm. so to speak, because you've got four all-stars, and then whoever your fifth guy is is fine. If it's Levert, if it's Okoro, and he could hit 35% of his threes, that's good enough. Now you're looking at a question where it's just like, okay, they don't, they still don't know who they want to use as that fifth guy. Levert is very hit or miss in that fifth role, even though he's the best scorer of those guys they use there. They still turn it over from whether it's because they're rattled or whatever else. And the question sometimes of who they're going to use to guard some of these Nick players, particularly Brunson, is rough. They've been using Garland there a lot more than I really would have expected. And Garland has been really rough defensively. As good as he's been offensively, he's been really rough guarding Garland. Uh, they've been getting beat up on the offensive glass, which I think is a product of the fact that Allen and Mobley are both so aggressive about going after so many of the shots at the rim. They force a lot of misses, but mm-hmm. then they're out of position to get rebounds. And the rest of the guys on the back end are small. The biggest guy you've got there is maybe like a Levert. And then you've got two six one guards yeah. trying to fend for themselves in the paint, trying to grab rebounds over a Mitchell Robinson, over a Julius Randle, over an RJ Barrett. All these guys are six seven. Uh, Josh Hart is 6'6 and one of the best rebounders in the league, despite being that short. So uh, it's just kind of not like something has to shift. Uh, They probably need to be trying to use different people on Brunson, who, you know, the Knicks might be built better right now, at least for their life cycle to, to win a series like this between the fact that they've got better role players and the fact that they are a team that ISOs more. Uh, or ISOs a lot, and like that's frankly what the playoffs become, is getting tough baskets, finding ways to get multiple possessions, and they're getting more offensive rebounds here. Um, and they they don't look as a 
I won't say afraid, but they don't look as rattled. Certainly no. they just played these last two games at home. So we'll see what happens in game five. But uh, Bickerstaff has really not had much answer yet as far as how he's changing things. And uh, that makes me a little bit concerned for this game five heading back to Cleveland. Dude, Cleveland had the best defensive rating in the regular season at 109.9. That mm-hmm. was during the regular season. In the playoffs, <laughs> their defensive rating is 105.1. They've been Mm -hmm. better defensively, and they've had no shot. No shot in this series the last couple games. The last two games, they have a 93.5 offensive rating. That that is like... Brutal. So far and away the worst in the league in the playoffs the last couple games. Mm -hmm. The fact that they've been playing that well defensively and don't have a shot... Mm-hmm. I, you know, we went in with the concerns about the fifth guy, but for it to be this bad and, you know, part of it is they just ran into, I I think some people are going to maybe start to get on Mitchell for a little bit. I think he's great. I think he's a good playoff performer. They just ran into him having an off night on the worst possible night. You can't have that in a game four. But, you know, there's so many things like Mitchell Robinson, Josh Hart, they're getting bullied on the boards and part of it has been you know, they put two on the ball a lot or they, they constantly in a defensive scramble because of Brunson or, you know, hedging hard with Garland, not wanting to give up switches, that they get caught in rotations. But a lot of times they're just getting outworked on the boards, man. There are a couple of times that Mobley and Allen are both under the rim. Josh Hart's still coming away with the rebound. I do wonder long term, as great as they are defensively, if it makes sense to have Mobley and Allen together. Yeah, it's going to be the same question that I asked uh, that, that you asked me earlier about Memphis. Yeah, like, what, where do they turn here? Yeah. They're going to. That's I think look that's at the, the first question and, for mo- yeah. most organizations is that you've got two all star bigs, two all defense caliber centers. Because also when we look at Mobley and where he projects, he's going to probably be more of a center mm-hmm. when he fills out. He's got the versatility to be, I mean, even as a rookie was being compared to KG as far as the defensive versatility. KG eventually was a center, uh, you know, later mm-hmm. on, but he, the league was also at a different If he played now, he'd be a center. Yes, he, he, yeah, he would be. A and, uh, you know, that, that doesn't preclude Mobley from developing a shot more, but he's a ball handler at times, but he's also defensively has enough of a presence to be a center. Now, I do worry sometimes about, his physicality or lack of physicality, uh, Randall was bullying him around in, uh, in game one. But either way, th- this is something where I think um, they're going to have to ask that question. And frankly, this was something I pointed out in my story that I wrote the other day about Josh Hart. Um, for how many people kind of went back and criticized the Knicks during the season, early in the season, before the season, about not getting Mitchell or not doing what it took to get Mitchell, look, you can – argue debate about the Knicks playing hardball with Danny Ainge. Mm -hmm. They were trying not to give up depth and they have really, really good depth on the wings. They have really good depth. Generally speaking, Uh, the Cavs do not. And the Cavs gave up what they had in depth, including the the guy that would become the most improved player. They gave that up to go get Mitchell. And so now you're going to be looking at like, what else do we have that we could trade that would be a value? There's not much on that bench. I mean, Levert yeah. might get you something, but you probably get another player like Levert, you know, maybe someone who's more solid defensively, but then that's mm-hmm. just Okoro, uh, you know, who doesn't have as much offense. Maybe someone who's a more veteran version of Okoro. Uh, 
so in order to get something good of value, it's probably to going to be to trade Allen. You'd still probably have a pretty decent defense, maybe not the best one in the league anymore, but maybe you would if you if you really think that Mobley is that great and has that much potential. He might still have you right there in the top five. Um, it would be like a reverse trade a little bit of what you just saw with Minnesota of instead of going all in and, you know, getting yeah. someone that's kind of doubling up at a position, you're you're going away from that and kind of putting more trust in one guy to, to anchor your defense. Um, which their defensive numbers suggest that they'll be great if they keep either one of those guys. They're not going to trade Mobley, obviously, but uh, that's probably the move for them. But we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. I, I'm really curious to see whether J.B. Bickerstaff is able to kind of orchestrate something here in Game 5. I, I just didn't think either team would be so much better than the other here to where they could take three straight, certainly to end the series. Uh and um, you know, and if you would ask me at the beginning, would it be more likely to be the Knicks or the Cavs? I would have said the Cavs would be more likely to be the one to win three straight. So this has been really surprising to me. And um, but you know, also the Knicks have to feel great, you know, about everything. You know, I imagine that uh, at this point, um, Leon Rose has to have like close to an 100 percent approval rating with <laughs> yeah. the fans, even the ones that criticized him for not finding a way to get the Donovan Mitchell deal done. This is why you were playing hardball with the idea of not wanting to give up Quentin Grimes, who, by the way, didn't even play in game four. But, you know, going out to get Josh Hart and only giving up Cam Reddish to get Josh Hart, like, that trade is looking real funny in the light if you're Portland, by the way. Uh, but I mean, Portland got unlucky there because I don't know what happened to Josh Hart in Portland. He wouldn't shoot. Um, Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for Portland on that one. He's such a you know, skilled player. He just he checks off so many boxes. Like, I... I, I I don't know. I'm overly. I, I also really like Danny Green, who, by the way, is someone that uh, someone who and Shelby's chiming in with the same thing, saying he got scared to shoot. I understand that, but even if he is, I feel like with where Portland is, I just kind of feel like you can always make use of players like that, and that their shot yeah. will probably come back around at some point. They were under pressure to figure something out. I just don't feel like he's the guy would have moved. Um, I, I feel like he's a rare example of someone that can absolutely help a team win a championship, despite the fact that he's gotten moved a bunch of times. He's got a really great skill set where he rebounds, uh, he's despite the, being undersized. He's a good he's defender. He's like true three and D. Like he's th- true three and D. You know, mm-hmm. like maybe he just needed to change the scenery. He, he has yeah. the background with Brunson. Maybe that's all it was. But he he's been good before. He's he's fantastic in transition and always has been. And I just mm-hmm. kind of feel like. Between that, the rebounding, the defense, even if his shot is struggling, he's doing more than enough things to justify time on the court, um, especially for a team that like badly needs someone to take a leap. Uh, maybe he wasn't showing it there, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I, w- I probably would have given him more time, but either way. Crazy series, man. Really crazy series. Um, I know there's a couple we haven't touched on. I mean, Celtics, Hawks, DeJounte's out. I think we... Know which one that's headed. Nuggets, Wolves. I don't think any of us are. You know, shout out to Ant, who had a great game four and didn't want to get swept. He's so fun. Yeah. He's so fun, man. Like, I, that dude, I can't wait to see how his career pans he's out. Like, he's, he's like the beast. opposite. He's like the opposite vibe of the Grizzlies, where it's like he's a opposite vibe of James Harden, uh, <laughs> where he shows up in games like those. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> what a what a unbelievable out of nowhere shot at James Harden. Oh, hey, that's man. funny. 
Hey, man, um, also, when we talk about like fun personalities, I mean, Harden certainly has an off the court life that we've talked yeah. about before, but yeah. just just fun to talk to and fun to yeah. engaging, you know, yeah, from the and, standpoint and, of the way he deals with the media and everything. And yeah, Ant's just like, I didn't want to get swept. I didn't want to have a, you know, be in my career. I got swept. And again, he's not front running. You know, he, he doesn't, he talks, but he, it's just, I love Ant. But that series, I think, we're you know, if it goes to six, maybe we'll give it some more love here. But uh, Kings Probably. Warriors, we'll, we'll talk about later in the week after Game Five. Although that De'Aaron Fox injury, obviously, oh, we haven't even mentioned that. that. Yeah. Man, I'm so hopeful that he can not just play through it, but still be effective. Like I, yeah. I said this on Twitter, Jaw has given me some hope that uh, that maybe. Mm-hmm. you know Fox can play through it. People have been pointing out that Kobe played through. Um, uh, basically a fingertip fracture before it played a whole playoffs through it. Kobe also wasn't human from that standpoint. Yeah. Uh, and also it's the shooting hand for Fox. So, and it was crazy because I saw him in real time kind of shake the hand. Right. But he just was like, he wasn't doubled over in pain with it or anything. It was not at all like the reaction Ja had. So I just figured he was okay. I think he missed one of the free throws after that happened, but I didn't make anything of it. Uh, he also hit a couple shots after that yeah. including jumpers after that Kept so i didn't make a, a single thing of it uh but it, it would be really disappointing if it just kind of renders him ineffective at this point because he's been even with staff and his performance and everything else like fox has been the most unguardable player mm-hmm. in this series and uh and it's been a coming out party for him and i uh i would hate for the first playoff run in 16 years for this team where they've got a legitimate chance I mean, they were this close. Harrison Barnes shot away from being up 3-1 in this series. I would hate for them to go from that almost possibility to now just not having a shot in the series because of that. So we'll see what happens. I mean, they have to be killing themselves for not winning that game three when Draymond and GB2 were both out and they couldn't shoot and Golden yeah. State shut them down. But that if they end up losing this series, I think they're going to look back at that and say, we could have been up 3-0 and we could have completely put the life out of this team and instead, uh, you know, they end up losing that game. I'm going to ask a dumb hypothetical. No. Here we go. Let's say, okay, so let's say that they had gone up Mm 3-0 with what you're talking about, with Draymond and Gary Payton the second being out. Let's say they lose game four the way they lost it on a last second shot. So, like, on the verge of sweep, and this is why I'm saying, like, it's a dumb hypothetical, so also feel free to be like, I'm not answering that it's dumb. So let's say they're up 3-0, then it turns to 3-1, and then we get the news about Fox while they're up 3-1. Would you, like, I guess also I could have asked your baseline answer. Do you think the Kings still have a chance to win this series with Fox having the fingertip fracture? But also, like, if they were up 3 so, one, that question... Right. But then also, even no, now, I like two, this. Two, I like this. Like three one, I, I still think a lot of people would use that as a rationale to be like, uh, I don't trust them up three one, not having been here before, and their best players got a fingertip fracture. Like, give me the Warriors all day long. I'm not saying that, but I'm curious whether other people. Certainly now with it two two, I think a lot of people would lean Warriors hard heavy. But even three one, I think some people would have done that. Two two, I'm leaning Warriors heavy. If they were up 3-1 and Fox had the fracture, I still think they could have won the series because Golden State's so bad on the road. 
We've yeah. seen that now, and they have two home games left. The Good crowd's going to be nuts. Malik Monk's been balling. Um, you know, you'd think at some point in this series, Sabonis will have a good game. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's been another issue. But yeah. I, I do think that that 3-1 makes a huge difference, even if Fox got hurt. Oh, it absolutely does. I was yeah. just asking more. No, no, like, it's a good question. Fun. It's a good question. I know what you're saying. Uh, yeah, I, I think you make a really good point with the two home games. Uh, they didn't play a ton of games without Fox this year. They did have a stretch without. They were around they 500, won. roughly, I think. Right. They were still okay because they still score. And I think it's a weird thing to say. Like, if you didn't watch them much this year, absolutely Fox was integral to what they do. I, I would still say Sabonis is kind of the hub of what they do. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you're playing without Sabonis, he is – their offense is based on their ability to run, which is Fox. Mm-hmm. But then when they're in their half court, it's based on Sabonis and his handoff stuff. The handoff ability, the handoff counters that they right. run with Herter. Right. With uh, Murray, who finally had a good game, and, and basically, yeah, like if they're going to win this series, I imagine he's going to have to have another game or two mm-hmm. like that for them to do it. After just being completely silent in the first three games, he had a great game for um, making shots from everywhere. But that's their half court, and Fox makes use of those handoffs as well. It's just so mm-hmm. many. It's Warriors esque from the standpoint of all the different things it forces the defense to think about as far as whether you are going to kind of take the baseline side and, and worry about someone cutting back door. If you hop to that side, are you making a mistake because Herter actually goes around and behind Sabonis and then gets a three from there and he's wide open? Are you watching the other side? Are you watching the weak side? Is Fox coming around? Like, is there a double <laughs> screen somewhere? It's just, it's Sabonis, as you've seen a couple times in the series, is Sabonis just going to be left alone because you're worried so much about the shooter right. that is coming from around him? And then is Sabonis just going to drain a wide open 15-footer where no one's within seven feet of him? Is he going to ram his way to the basket and then, you know, just out-muscle somebody? There's a lot of equations and a lot of answers there um, that force a defense to to feel uncomfortable. Uh, Fox not being there is a massive problem. If, if he's not able to play, I imagine he'll try to play through it. I was watching people say, look, Gary Beatty did this with Kobe, and they're showing like butterfly tape <laughs> that he wrapped around his two fingers. And it's like, you know, I'm so hopeful. But it's, it's asking a lot of anybody who's in their first playoff run to play through that level of discomfort. Uh, but obviously they need him to try. And just like Jaw did, uh, so I'm hopeful that that we can watch like a Kobe-esque, Jaw-esque performance mm-hmm. where he's playing through what I imagine is bad pain on a shooting hand for a jump shot that has been great at times throughout the series. But um, it's such a bummer. And I just kind of feel yeah. like the Kings have had so many bummers over the years, some out of their control with officiating mm-hmm. and everything else. I really hate this for them, but I'm I'm hopeful that it's still a competitive series. I'm hopeful it goes seven just from a, I guess, not a fan standpoint, but a basketball fan standpoint of just wanting to see, like, this has been the best series, in my opinion, mm-hmm. far and away. And uh, and so I would love to see uh, love to see it continue to be a good series. For sure. Um, yeah, we'll have to see how game five goes. That is, I don't even know what day it is anymore, but I believe that's uh, Wednesday night. Game five is tomorrow. Uh, yeah, Wednesday. Um, Chris, until then, continue to enjoy the playoffs. Thank you to everyone. Uh, for listening, we'll catch everybody later this week. Thank you.